your Bibles to Nehemiah 12. Nehemiah 12. We're kind of went out of order. Uh, last Sunday I did 13 and uh, for whatever reason I said, okay Lord, maybe somebody was there who needed to hear 13 who's not going to be here today and somebody needs to hear something in chapter 12 here that wasn't going to hear it next week. So um, leave it up to you God. But to chapter 12 and this, this message is entitled Dedication That Sacrifices. Dedication that sacrifices. Now in chapter 11, remember the word was read and there was a deep and serious repentance because they weren't following God's word. And as a result of reading the word and conviction of the spirit of God, the people made a covenant with God in writing and they promised to walk in God's ways. Now, Nehemiah is going to plan and lead a dedication ceremony for the rebuilt walls in Jerusalem. And remember, the city's population had to be increased as well. And now that has taken place. So Nehemiah is going to plan and lead this dedication ceremony for the rebuilt walls in Jerusalem. This would bring, these, this increased population would bring a larger attendance. It would bring more attention and honor to the dedication ceremony. Ordering this dedication showed Nehemiah's godliness. It showed his great devotion and his thankfulness for God's help in restoring the walls. Now, Nehemiah's life was devoted to honoring God, which is rare for any man. We're going to see how the people prepared for this event. And you know what? When we have events of any kind, we have to prepare for them. And we have to be good at it. We have to prepare ahead of time if they're going to honor God and they're going to be effective. A meaningful event needs a lot of planning and organizing by everybody in the congregation or it won't be an honorable service. And church events should be planned carefully and wisely. Last minute plans don't turn out to be very uh, productive. But Nehemiah did things right, and he prepared well for everything that he wanted to do. Again, when we have special events, you know, we, we send out flyers, we put the event on the internet, our webpage, and, and to make people aware of the event. You know, this part of the preparation is important. If we don't invite people to come to the event, we can be sure the event will have a poor turnout. But there, again, the thing today is we've seen that there doesn't seem to be much interest for special events. And we do pray that there would be a revival and a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. So let's begin now in chapter 12 with verses 1 through 7. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. And then, okay, it, it, we see that long list of names there. You can go ahead and read them if, if you like. And, and then in verse 7, it says that he names the heads of the priests. David appointed 24 priestly groups to serve in the temple in 1 Chronicles 24, verses 7 through 19, when it, you know, after it would be built. Now, Nehemiah lists the 22 leaders here of the priests who had returned from Babylon with Zerubbabel and Jeshua almost 100 years, years earlier in about 538 B.C. Now look at verses 8 and 9. And then it says, moreover, we'll begin there, moreover, the Levites were, and then in the next in 8 and 9, the names of eight of the Levites who returned with Zerubbabel are listed here. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 now. Jeshua begot Joachim, Joachim begot Eliashib, Eliashib begot Joida, Joida begot Jonathan, 
and, and Jonathan begot Jedua. Now in verses 10 through 11, the many generations of high priests extended from Aaron to Jehozadak, who were taken into uh, exile, uh, exile uh, to Babylon in First Chron- uh, Chronicles 6, verses 3 through 15. Then Jeshua, the high priest, returned from ba- uh, Babylon with Zerubbabel. Jeshua's descendant, Eliashib, was the high priest in Nehemiah's day. Now look at verses 12 through 21. It says, Now... In the days of Jehoiakim, the priests and the heads of fathers' houses were. And it lists all of them there in the following verses. These verses list the heads of the priestly families in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Jeshua, the high priest. Now let's look at verses 22 through 26. During the reign of Darius the Persian, a record was also kept of the Levites and priests who had been heads of their father's houses in the days of Eliashib. Heads of the Levites are listed in verse 24, and the gatekeepers are listed in verse 25. So again, you just have a list of the names during the reign of Darius the Persian. Uh, and then again, the, the heads of the Levites in verse 24, and the gatekeepers are listed in verse 25. Again, just a bunch of names of those that uh, were uh, in this service here. Now look at verse 27. And it says, Now at the dedication of the wall, of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all of their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication of with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. These are now the ones who are invited to the dedication of the wall. It says, notice the people were sought out. They were invited to come to the celebration. They were the Levites. And some of them lived in Jerusalem, and a lot of them lived outside of Jerusalem. We saw that in chapter 11. Those outside of Jerusalem had to be called to come. Remember, they had to, they, they had to cast lots, you know, and, and you know, they had to be sought out, or they, I should say they had to be called to come to Jerusalem for the dedication service. The Levites were especially needed for the dedication ceremony because they were going to lead the proceedings, and the congregation would be the ones who followed. Without the leaders, they'd have a hard time having any kind of special meetings. So when a church has special meetings, it's important that the people involved are there because they're very important to these, uh, again, planning meetings. And and again, here's where you have to start with with an important event. It's by meeting together. It's by planning, by requesting the people to be there for the planning meetings. And then, of course, this is where the problems begin, because it seems like nobody can make the meetings. Let's look at verses 28 through 29 now. It says, and the, sing- and the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the, of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. So attending the meeting now. Notice here that when the people were called for the meeting, it says they came from all around. They came with a ready submission. There were no complaints about, oh, here we go, another meeting. They had a lot of meetings already, as we saw in the earlier chapters. You know, we don't hear any conflict here with their schedules. Oh, I have this party to go to on that day. Oh, I have something already planned for that day. Oh, I can't. I'm busy that day. It happens all the time. 
We don't, we don't see that kind of response here in chapter uh, 12. You know, when the invitation was given out to, to Jerusalem for the dedication ceremony, it says the Levites and us gathered together for the dedication. You see, this is the kind of cooperation every ministry needs to have when it comes to meetings, you know, when it has to do with meetings and events. And unfortunately, meetings and events, for the most part, don't get that kind of cooperation, that kind of support. What usually happens is when you're trying to schedule, you know, uh, something on the calendar, there isn't a date that, that somebody won't say, well, I can't make it that day or that day or that day. And the thing is, is nobody is willing to make concessions to do the work of God. But all of these I can'ts aren't the real problem for the object, objections uh, to the date of the meetings and the events. The real problem is people just aren't interested enough in the things of God. When church people come as devo- come, become as devoted to God as, as, you know, we can become devoted to sports and entertainment, then those meetings and events will take place no matter what day or time they're scheduled. Look at verse 30 now. Then the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Notice that the leaders purified themselves for this ceremony. Those who are in leadership in worship need to be pure. And this is where the purification needs to start. Isaiah said in chapter 52, verse 11, Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. And if leaders want the congregation to be poor, the leader, be pure, the leaders have to be pure. And before a minister or leader preaches purity to the people, he needs to practice purity himself. Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, when it came to ministers' qualifi- qualifications, emphasizes this qualification. The priests and the Levites here weren't hypocritical when it came to their purity. Because the purity started with themselves and preachers and leaders have to do the same thing. The people were purified by the priests and the Levites. You know, a polluted congregation will hinder a dedication service. Just the thought of coming before God for worship and consecration, it should encourage us to come with clean hands and a pure heart. But unfortunately, in many churches... In the church of Jesus Christ, moral purity is lacking in the church today. The way many people come to church physically and spiritually, you know, it, it's, it, you know it, it shows. We need to look into the mirror of God's word, as James says. We need to be sure to clean ourselves up, spiritually speaking, before we come before God. If not, this shows that we're not interested. And it's a sign of disrespect when we come to the things of God. The walls and the gates were purified. The word purified here means to be bright, to be pure, to be physically sound, clear, unadulterated, uncontaminated, morally uncontaminated, innocent or holy. In the King James Bible, it means to be clean, to be to cleanse, to purge, to purify. Whatever is dedicated to God, whether it's people or property, it needs to be bright and it needs to be clean, literally and symbolically, without spot or wrinkle or any blemish, holy and without fault. When we have meetings and events or services at church, we also need to do some purifying of the building and the grounds. 
The main sanctuary should be cleaned thoroughly. The nursery, the children's ministry, the the restrooms. We We can't neglect the outside either. The building needs to be painted and it needs to be cleaned. The grass mowed and watered. And we won't, when we don't do this, it shows a lack of care or concern. It shows that maybe we, we just don't care. Or a lack of devotion and, and interest in promoting the honor of God and the upkeep of His house. A big part of the dedication ceremony here was an, it was an impressive parade on the walls by the people. The walls around Jerusalem were wide enough for a large group of people to march on them in a parade. Look at verse 31. Nehemiah says, So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. Notice that. One went to the right hand on the wall towards the refuse gate. So Nehemiah divided the people into two groups to march on the walls. Uh, Nehemiah took one group, verse 38 tells us, and Ezra in verse 36 led the two groups. They were both so dedicated to God that they worked in perfect harmony and teamwork together. And that's such a blessing when you have leaders and workers in the church with this kind of dedication. We will together, together do great things for God. If this is first and foremost in our service to God, working together. Verse 32 through 34. After them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests, sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of, of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of, of, of Mathaniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zechur, the son of Asaph. Many people marched on the walls, rulers, religious leaders, that is the priests and the Levites. They were in the group that marched on the walls. There were also musicians in each group. Verse 35 says there were those with trumpets. Verse 36, there were those with musical instruments of David. The people were going to march on these walls. That were going to march on these walls. They met in the valley. At the valley gate. Verse, uh, we see that back in chapter 215, the valley gate. And once they were organized, they marched around the walls. The two groups went different ways on the walls. Ezra's group went on the wall towards the refuse gate, verse 31, and Nehemiah's group went the opposite way, according to verses 37 and 38. And they met near the prison gate, according to verse 39, on the other side of Jerusalem. Then they went together to the house of God, the temple, according to verse 40, where they finished the ceremony. Now, think about these people. They got up and marched together on these walls. What effect do you think participating in this parade on the walls might have had on those people? I think, first of all, it, remind, it might remind the Jews of how blessed they were to have the rebuilt walls. You know, I can see them looking at each other as they're marching along and, and, and just you know, experiencing this great celebration. And you know, while they're marching and they're saying to each other, man, can you believe it? We're marching on the walls. Remember when they used to be a pile of rubble? And every time they looked at the wall, they'd be reminded of the wonderful blessings that God gave them. I mean, this would make the ceremony more significant. It would make it more special. Secondly, the march on the walls would be a 
to the enemies of God. (laughs) You guys said we couldn't do it. You mocked us. You made fun of us. You know, and, and so again, it would, it would, it would, you know, it would be, a, we told you so to the Jews' enemies. The ones who mocked them for thinking that they could even build the walls. Remember, they said, if a fox walks on it, it's sure to fall down. And when the Jews' enemies watched them marching on the wall, it would shut their mouths. And we need to remember that God is still shutting the mouths of mockers today. He has a ton of evidence for his work that's marching right in front of men's eyes today that puts mockers to shame and silence. When mockers belittle God's greatness, Psalm 19, 1 says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the heavens display his handiwork. Man, the heavens alone are such a great evidence and testimony of the power of God. And when mockers laughed at the idea of Jesus resurrecting from the dead, Acts tells us he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. And when the people were gathered together at the temple, the grand finale took place. A great dedication ceremony was held at the temple and it was was such an appropriate way to end the dedication ceremony. Look at verse 40. Let's look at verse 39, 40. And above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two thanksgiving choirs, notice, stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and half of the rulers with me. The dedication ceremony involved thanksgiving. The first thing we're told about these two groups is that they gave thanks. Thanksgiving wasn't just a part of the event at the temple. It was a big part of the whole dedication ceremony. And it's made obvious by the fact that Thanksgiving, the word Thanksgiving is mentioned at least eight times in the text about dedicating the walls. You see, the Jews had a lot to be thankful for, and so do we. You see, God helped them rebuild the walls god helped them making it possible for build up jerusalem and to make it an important city again for over 150 years the wall lied in ruins bringing shame and criticism to the jews but now that condemnation was taken away because the walls were rebuilt so it was definitely a time to say thank you lord for your help, for your power. To say thank you in a serious way and a meaningful way. And that's exactly what the people were doing here. Thanksgiving is such a good thing and it's such an important thing. It's also a necessary thing to have as any special event. Lord, thank you first. God's, we know we need to always make Thanksgiving an important part of our prayers and our worship. And this giving of thanks here at the temple, it was open for everyone. They weren't, they weren't ashamed to thank God publicly. And you know what? If we're going to be much of a testimony for our Lord, it will have to be an obvious testimony, something that people can see. Because if our light doesn't shine in public, how do we expect the world to see our testimony? 
Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We want to do good works, but we want the people to say they love God. They belong to God. That's a work of God. And yet how ashamed or embarrassed many times are we to say thanks to God in public by not giving thanks for our food in a restaurant. And we don't, when we don't thank God in public, we limit God's blessings in public and in private. Verse 42. Also, Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jeho- Jehoanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer. The singers sang, this is one of my favorite parts here. The singers sang loudly with Jezreiah, the director, the worship leader. Music was also a part of the event in the temple that ended this dedication ceremony. Trumpets were used, as we saw in 40, verse 41. And singing is mentioned in verse 42. Singing is mentioned eight times regarding the dedication ceremony. Thanksgiving was mentioned eight times. So Thanksgiving and music were tied together. And that makes sense because the songs that they sang would be full of Thanksgiving in their praise to God. And there's two lessons to be learned from the things said about the singers. They were loud. And I'll define what loud means. And they followed their leader. And these two things showed first the enthusiasm of their singing. It says the singers sang loudly. Now, this loudness doesn't mean that their singing was unintelligible. It doesn't mean that they sang so loud that they were out of harmony or so loud that you couldn't make out what they were saying. It wasn't just a deafening noise like a lot of, a lot of other kinds of music you hear today where you can't understand the words that are being sung. Instead, their loudness showed the enthusiasm of their singing. You see, we have something to sing about. We have something to be enthused about or someone to be enthused about. The scene here was lively praise to God. It was spirited singing as well as sincere singing. That's the kind of singing we need to do in the church. And I remember a few times in the early days when we first got here, we had neighbors complain that we were too loud. I haven't heard that since then. And, and, of course, we wanted to be good neighbors. We didn't, you know, crank it up, guys. You know, no, we, we, we wanted to, you know. But it was a neat, and it was, to me, it was a neat testimony. They could hear us singing and praising here in this church. What a witness. They might not like the witness, but it was still a witness. What can those people be singing so loud about at 8 o'clock in the morning? Our God. Our awesome, wonderful God. So, again, their loudness showed their enthusiasm. It was a lively praise of God. It was spirited. And sometimes, unfortunately, our singing sounds like we're we're singing a funeral song. The singers were lively in praising their God. It was spirited as well as sincere, as I said. You know, and and again, sometimes our our faces are expressionless. Very little enthusiasm. And sometimes we sing the song like it hurts to sing. And I wonder how, how blessed God is, you know, when he sees that. 
second thing we learn is that they sang with Jezrahiah, the director, the worship leader. These singers sang with their leader. Notice, they didn't watch their leader sing. And many times, you know, and, and I was one way back in the beginning, in my early years as a Christian, I, you know, thought, you know, worship was just, you know, kind of, that's what you do. It's kind of fill in time before the message starts. But the service starts the moment the worship team comes up on this platform. And nobody did their own thing. It says the people sang orderly according to how their worship leader led them. And following their leader enhanced their singing, and that's what it should do. Worship leaders are there to help the singers. Now, we might not have a choir up here in robes, but you guys, you are choirs without robes. <laughs> You're the choir. You really are. Do you want robes? Well, maybe, well, you know, not really. But uh, anyway, maybe you'd sing, sing louder if you had robes. I don't know. But anyway, you're the choir. And, and, you know, worship leaders are there to help us to sing. And just because like, we don't have a, a robe doesn't mean that you're not a choir. The worship leader isn't there to make them do what's hard to do, you know, to make us do what we can't do or or to take us out of the range of, of what we can do. And choirs need to pay attention to the worship leader. Verse 43. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. When do you see sacrifices and the word rejoice together? Usually a sacrifice is an oh me, oh my. Also, the day that they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Five times you hear the word joy in some form used there. They were sacrificing here. They were giving to God. In other words, the offering basket was being uh, passed around at some point in the dedication ceremony in the temple. The sacrificing at the temple teaches us that dedication includes sacrifice. Notice it says they offered great, notice, great sacrifices and rejoiced anyway. The greater the dedication, the greater the giving, the greater the sacrificing. A dedication that's worth anything doesn't come cheap. And some would try to to preach a Christianity that requires very little cost. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 14, 25 to 33, as, as a large crowd was following Jesus. The Bible says it, he turned to the crowd and he said, look, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He says, and and don't begin to follow me until you count the cost. Because who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before you run out of money and you might, you know, and and everyone would, would, would laugh at you. They'd say there's a person who started the building, but they couldn't afford to finish it. He says, or what kind, you know, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. 
So he says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Three times he tells us we cannot be his disciple unless we love him more in comparison than anything else. We have to watch our hearts carefully so that no other relation, no other thing takes a place higher than our love for God and take away our duty to him. Remember, Christianity is founded on the greatest sacrifice of all, Jesus Christ at Calvary, the cross. And when you look at the cross, how can we do anything less than make great sacrifices for God if we're going to be dedicated to promoting the work of Christ? There was a lot of rejoicing going on in the temple during this dedication. And it's significant that after, uh, that, that after Scripture speaks of the people giving the great sacrifices, it then speaks of their joy. First Chronicles, we see in 20, uh, chapter 29, verse 27, it says, Then Hezekiah ordered that the burnt offering be placed on the altar, and as the burnt offering was presented, notice, songs of praise to the Lord were begun. First the sacrifice, then the song. There can be no song without the sacrifice. Again, notice the words, rejoiced, rejoice, joy, rejoiced, joy. All of this thing said after sacrificing. And the Bible tells us it's more blessed to give than receive. And the program at the temple in the, in the ceremony for the consecrating of the walls really point to this truth. There is a great joy in serving Jesus Christ when the service is dedicated service. Unhappy Christians are not you know, dedicated Christians many times. They're unhappy because the kind of Christian experience they're willing to pay for isn't costly. It doesn't satisfy. Dedication will always involve sacrificing. There's trial in serving. There's tribulation in serving and dedicated service. But the joy that it brings, oh, it makes up way more than, than, than the trials and the tribulations that we experience. The world's idea of joy is centered around self and possessions, but God's idea of joy is centered around sacrifice for his honor. The world's joy is just a delusion and it's temporary at best. But the joy of the Lord is superior and it's, ex it's excellent above all things and it's everlasting, best of all. They were witnessing in verse 43. Look what it says. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for God and made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. Notice, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. The sound of their joyous singing and their praise going on in the temple could literally be heard from far away. But there's more than, than the literal sound that's involved here. The sound involves the fact of the, that the consecrating of the walls is sent a message out to all the heathen nations around them about the greatness of God. The Jews' testimony here is like the testimony of the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1.8, Paul spoke about it in his first letter to him. Notice Paul said, from you, that is the church, the Thessalonian church, from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, notice, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out. What an awesome testimony. Let's look at verses 44 now to the close of the chapter. 
And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them from the fields of the cities, the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification. Uh, according to the command of David and Solomon, his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and gatekeepers a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. Notice the worship and the holiness and the dedication and the provisions that were made for God's people. In closing, the lesson from this testimony of the Jews here is that our testimony of the Lord will spread as our dedication for the Lord increases. When our dedication increases, our testimony will increase. And if we want to reach out to our local community with the word of God and throughout the whole world, we'll have to be dedicated to the work of God. It will have to be a dedication that sacrifices because it requires sacrifice to proclaim the word of God to people. And churches are always looking for more and better ways of getting the word out to people and to the world. Now, some of those ways have their place. But what would really help churches to reach more people is for the church, which is you and I, to become dedicated to the Lord. Dedication will really spread the ministry of the church. Nehemiah's life is a story about dedication. He was very dedicated to God, and that's why he accomplished so much for him. And then again, when we finished with chapter 13 last week, it involved, remember, the, the, the reforms the concerning the tithes. They they, they, uh, re-instituted the tithes. They reinstituted the Sabbath. And and now the marriages between Jews and non-Jews, that stopped. And so they put everything in order. Nehemiah was the governor of Judah for at least 12 years. Josephus, the historian, says that Nehemiah lived to be a great old age and he governed Judah for the rest of his life. Nehemiah was a great leader and he did great, made great reforms with the people. And, and again, we can, as we have, we've learned a lot and can learn a lot from Nehemiah's leadership and his dedication to God. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful book, Lord. Father, we thank you. For Nehemiah's example, Lord. For his love for your word, Lord. Which really is his love for you, God. There's no way we can say we love God and not love his word. And not read the word. We can't love God and hate the things that he loves and love the things that he hates. We must have a single heart with God. Our hearts must be one with God's. And Father, help us to be a dedicated people to you, Lord. A people that sacrifice, God. Make the sacrifices, God. 
to serve you, to glorify you, God, whatever it takes, Father, to lift you up and to show the world that we serve an awesome God, a wonderful God, a loving God, a kind God, a gracious and merciful God. Lord, let us be a witness to those things. Maybe you're here tonight and you know know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But Nehemiah's example and the people who followed Nehemiah's example, you might say, I want to be like a Nehemiah. I want to be one of those people that gives their life to the service of God. You need your sins forgiven. You need the, the saving work of Jesus Christ. He sacrificed for you and me. And his sacrifice is much greater than we'll ever have to make. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And if God has spoken to your heart and you recognize your need for Jesus to make him your Lord and your Savior, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.